Welcome to the Invest It Best podcast, a show about investing and financial markets, where you'll hear from some of Australia's top investment analysts and fund managers about their views on the market. The Invest It Best podcast is brought to you by Wilson, one of Australia's leading financial advisory firms with a proud and successful history spanning over 125 years. All information discussed in this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. You should seek investment advice tailored to your circumstances before making any investment decision. Further disclosures follow at the conclusion of the episode. This is the Invest It Best podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Invest It Best podcast. My name is Ted Richards and in this episode I'm speaking with Rob Crookston, Senior Analyst within our investment strategy team here at Wilson's. Prior to joining Wilson's, Rob was at Deloitte for eight years, most notably as one of their economists. We're very lucky that Rob has come across to us at Wilson's in mid-2020. Rob, welcome to the Invest It Best podcast. Hey, Ted. How are you going? Okay, Rob, let's get straight into it. Um, and today I want to have a chat about when it comes to investing, what are some of the popular thematic options out there? Yeah, so I sort of grouped them into two different categories. So firstly, I think you have these short-term thematics. They tend to be a bit more micro. Uh, an example would be you know, stocks with inflation protection, but pretty topical at the moment or stocks that will benefit from the reopening trade after the pandemic, for example, as well, you know, stuff like that. Uh, these generally run for as a shorter period, you know, 12 to 24 months. Um, and the other option is longer term trends. They're really, really focusing on, on mega trends. Um, these could be a, a decade long or, or even longer. Um, and in terms of equity investors, you know, the stocks you select, they should be exposed to thematic and, and can ride a wave of you know, be a big wave of demand and earnings growth over a decade or longer. Um, and in terms of forecasting, I tend to think the market is, is pretty inefficient on these. It seems to always un under forecast these, these thematics. Um, so I, I think there's a real opportunity there for investors as well um, in investing in those. Well, um, previous guest on the show, James Ferrier, head of research here at Wilson's, actually spoke about, uh, was on, an, on a previous episode where we spoke about Another mega trend, and that is the growing need or, or increase of agricultural productivity um, mm -hmm. with farming. Yeah. Check that episode out if you if you missed that one. Mm -hmm. So, Rob, um, on the topic of long term thematics, what do you like right now? I think the one that I have most conviction on at the moment is the energy transition. Um, in my opinion, this is a multi decade mega trend. And a real opportunity for investors to get in, you know, sort of pretty near the beginning of the transition. I think really, I mean, the, there are some countries that have been doing this for a decade, but I think now the the world is moving in the right direction in terms of the energy transition. So, I think it's a real real opportunity to get involved in a multi-decade, you know, trend right now. So I've just just had a look. You know, the definition of of energy transition is a is a change in how humanity develops, uses, and benefits from energy. Mm -hmm. um, I think said another way, it's it's driven by the urgent need to address climate change and, and the development of cheaper, low emission technologies. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right, yeah. Rob, we had um, one of the fund managers from Bailey Gifford, um, the global investment fund with about 500 billion in funds under management. Yeah, 
in for a recent morning meeting. And um, they had an interesting stat in their presentation, which you know jumped out to me, and that is um, there's about 200 million people currently living on land that, that they'll be below sea level by uh, 2100 if we uh, continue at the current rate. So, Rob, that's the problem or the, or the need for this transition. Yeah. Let's now have a chat about the opportunity. What does the energy transition opportunity look like? Yes, good question. I think yeah, I think you covered it a bit there in terms of it is the move away from fossil fuels towards renewable energy, and at the same time as you know, as part of that as well is moving away from our traditional petrol-powered cars to electric vehicles as well. Um, and there's there's a lot of different numbers out there, but the International Energy Agency forecasts around about five trillion will be invested into the energy transition over the next decade. Um, and this money will be spent on, you know, reshaping, as I said, reshaping the electricity grid um, away from fossil fuels uh, and, you know, as I said, yeah, moving towards electric vehicles as well. So um, you know, what does that mean, really? It means there's going to be a lot of money spent uh, on the transition um, and there's going to be a lot of uh, change in demand over the next decade or even a few decades because of it. As I was preparing for this episode, I, I, um, I had a look at some stats of, of what current countries are currently spending and, and admittedly these are 2021 numbers but china very interestingly spent 266 billion um on the energy transition last year making up according to this this study uh, approximately 35 percent of uh what was spent interestingly um india who has you know a population somewhat similar spending just a fraction of that at 14 billion um which is only Two percent of of what's been spent in this area, which just goes to show the the um, the huge opportunity and the money that's uh, going to continue to pour into this space. Hey, um, Rob, this is nothing new. Europe, in particular, Scandinavia, has been going down this path for decades. Yeah. Why the opportunity now? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Yeah, Europe have be, have been doing it. Yeah, you're right, and probably Scandinavia more focused on it uh, in particular. Um, but I think now we're seeing the rest of the world start to start to change. And I think there's a few different factors that's influencing the pace now of the climate, the sort of the transition. Um, first is social pressure. So I think there's more people out there now that acknowledge the risk of climate change. Um, and this is driving you know, pressure on governments for action as well. So, you know, so, so we're seeing a change in consumer preferences. I think that's the first. And, that, and we can see that in the current sort of rapid uptake of electric vehicles around the world. Um, that's an, an obvious example, um, and we've probably seen this in the recent, you know, Australian federal election as well. You know, these teal and uh, green candidate, candidates winning uh, what before would have been, you know, seen as unwinnable seats probably in the past, and and really one of the key reasons why they're winning those seats um, was the inaction of of the federal government on on clean energy on the clean energy transition and on, on climate change. So, and we're seeing this government pressure, uh, and now we're really starting to see policy change or subsidies. Uh, that are encouraging companies to accelerate the transition. Um, yeah, and Biden came out last night actually and, and provided subsidies for for two ASX listed companies. So Novonics, which is a, a synthetic graphic graphic manufacturer, has 150 US million dollars uh, grant for them, and it was 220 million for Sarah, which are a, a natural graphite miner. So. We're seeing now, you know, even the biggest economy in the world is starting to provide subsidies and grants uh, for this transition. 
and that's obviously going to be a big Kickstarter as well. I guess, I guess the third point as well is this investor pressure um, that I think we're seeing now. You see that in the rise of the ESG fund, especially over the last few years. Um, you know, and that's where you know, shareholders and stakeholders are demanding businesses make this transition um, and certainly make it quicker than they've been doing over the past. So I guess they're the three reasons we've seen this acceleration. And I think we've really seen it over the last two years accelerate um, rapidly. There's a couple of things I want, I want to speak to there. One, um, for those not familiar in this space, Rob, maybe you can provide us a bit more color. What does graphite provide uh, opportunity for, to do? Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's fair. Sorry, I haven't really covered that. I guess it's there's all these minerals that we're going to need um, you know, for the transition. And, and really, graphite is about batteries. And we're going to need a, a huge amount more batteries over the next decade or if, again, even more. Um, you know, they're a key part of the anode of the battery, of course. So as we get more electric vehicles, um, as we transition to even renewable energy sources, we're going to need batteries to store that energy as well. So you know, we're going to see a real rise in demand for, for graphite. I guess where Biden's coming from as well is that he's worried that a lot of it is mined and manufactured in China. So there is a political angle here as well. He wants to see more of it in the US or, or even in Australia as well. So um, there's also a political element to this. Um, but yeah, it's really that you're going to see that rise in demand for some of these minerals, graphite included, as we get more batteries. It's quite fascinating. Um, and it, it flows on to one of the earlier points you made about the change in preferences that we're seeing. So to reinforce that, I I had to purchase a lawnmower recently and had, had to decide between a, a petrol or a um, an electric lawnmower. And I, and I went the electric uh, with the battery-operated one. And it's just fantastic. Like, I, I, you know, it's reliable, it's clean, it's quiet. I'm never going back. Um, the battery just works across everything. Um, counting that, I bought a new car recently. Uh, we've got three kids, three young kids. So I bought a big seven-seater. Typical, you know, traditional internal combustion engine. I feel like I'm filling it up every week. Uh, that's the last petrol car that I probably ever buy. So, um, yeah, we're talking about changing preferences I can put my hand up and, and say that, you know, my preferences have significantly changed over the last 12 months and I'm a sample size of one. So, Rob, you touched on graphite. Um, mm. There's probably many other ways you can fit, invest in this this mega trend or this thematic. How else do you suggest investing in this space? Yeah, so I, I think, as I said, the the key area is these battery, the battery minerals. I think that's the one of the best ways Aussie equity investors can invest in in the transition, um, and and with the, with this new economy comes an increased demand for these minerals and metals with the energy transition. So, so briefly spoke about it before, but you know one of the key areas of focus, really over, over the next decade, I think is yeah this increase in demand of as a battery demand. Um, you know again households get more EVs, and we're going to need more batteries as, as a core part of the energy grid. You know, renewables aren't particularly reliable at the moment. They rely on wind that can can drop. Um, and sometimes there isn't enough sun for solar. You know, that's probably a, a problem in my homeland of the UK. And I think, that, you know, the demand for batteries and the, the minerals and metals that are key to their production is going to increase substantially. So what does that mean? You know, I think there's a wave of demand for these minerals. Um, and, and one of them, you know, like graphite, but I, I think one of the ones we're focused on is lithium. I think that creates a... a significant opportunity for Australian equity investors over the next decade. All right, let's zoom in on, on lithium. Is there anything you're seeing um, in particular in the market right now 
in regards to lithium that's getting you excited? Yeah, there certainly is. There's certainly some really high quality companies for one, but actually on the actual commodity itself, I think at the moment we have a, a tight market for lithium, um, but this is forecast to get tighter and tighter over the next decade. Uh, demand is expected to increase around about six to eight times over the next decade, depending who, who you talk to. Uh, but supply is only really going to, is forecast to grow by, by five times. Uh, and that really creates a pretty large supply deficit by, by 2025. So we're really not that far away from that now. And that should be a pretty serious tailwind for the lithium price. And, and we believe that really should keep the lithium price at elevated levels. You know, it already is, is very elevated at the, at the current spot price. But I still think it can, it can stay pretty elevated. Um, and, the, and the price may fall a bit, but you know, at the current spot price of lithium carbonate, one of the key um, sort of components of, of battery minerals, you know, it's 70,000 US dollars at the moment. Uh, long-term forecast around about $10,000. For me, yeah, the lithium, lithium price can come back a bit. Plus, I think there is significant upside risk that long-term number of 10,000, especially if we're seeing that supply deficit come through over the next few years. So, yeah, I, I think there's a real opportunity there for lithium. And at the moment, the forecast just, just looked underwhelming to me. So um, maybe if you could share some, um, share some insight with us on particular companies people might look at in this space. Yeah, so I think one of the key ones, and we've got that in the in the focus portfolio, the Aussie equity portfolio that we we look at, um, it's AKE, so Allchem. It's a uh, it's one of the world's sort of top five leading producers, uh, and should, should produce around about ten percent of the world's lithium over the next decade. And to do this, the company will need to triple production um, by twenty twenty six. So we're seeing this increase in production over the next sort of four years. Just is a good thing. There's more volume coming through. Um, we, we think the price should stay more elevated than the market's expecting as well. Uh, and what I like about AKE is a diversified operation. So it's in Australia. It, it mines hard rock spodumene lithium in, in Australia and WA. And then it also um, sort of has a processing for extracting lithium from salt plains in, in South America. Um, so then that, that, that sort of, that's lithium carbonate, which is sort of one we, we spoke about before in terms of price. Um, you know, quality management, deep expertise, uh, and I think AKE is actually, you know, is actually getting lithium out of the ground at the moment, which, which you can't say for a lot of these, these miners on the ASX um, at the moment. Uh, so yes, we still believe there's earning upgrades to be had for AKE over the next 12 months, uh, you know, due to this to the higher, higher price than what the market's expecting. And I actually still think there could be surprises on production. I think surprises in terms of there could be, you know, we talked about tripling production by 2026. I think that actually could be higher over that period, you know, and both these factors coupled together, it's, it's pretty pretty bullish for the for the share price. Yeah, fascinating. Um, I'm just having a look at the, the share price, which um, certainly has performed quite well in, in what is a, a bear market. And for, for those not um, familiar, Rob touched on, on um, an Aspects of all Kim, um, you know, they seem to be headquartered in um, in Argentina as well. So, with the business probably doing so well right now, I, I assume they're possibly paying out a dividend as well. No, not at the moment. So, they are still in the sort of the the initial production stage. It's still this will be the first year where they're really got a full year of digging lithium out of the ground. 
or actually the, the process is actually um, evaporating it out of the ground uh, for lithium carbonate. But um, so we are seeing that over the next 12 months. I think what we do see of these miners is that you will start to get dividend yields um, over the next couple of years. And, and if they're generating as much cash as they are at the moment or expected to generate at the moment, um, yeah, there could be yeah certainly a pretty pretty decent yield on there as well. All right, it's fascinating to hear about lithium. Let's let's shift the conversation to copper, uh, where the demand for copper cabling wires and switches needs to, to deliver appropriate power at the right voltage seems to be um, uh, increasing in demand. Um, what else can you tell about the opportunity in this space? Yes, yeah, so I think it's very similar to mining supply dynamics as, as lithium. Um, you know, for example, electric vehicles typically require around about three times more copper than your traditional petrol-powered vehicle. Uh, and solar and, and offshore wind require around about two times to five times more, respectively, than your, your usual sort of fossil fuel uh, generator. Um, so yeah, we, we you know we could see a, a doubling in copper demand over the next decade, uh, which obviously yeah, it's very bullish for the for the demand and, and probably the price as well. But it also takes a long, long time to bring copper mines online, on average around about 17 years uh, to bring a copper mine uh, online. So supply isn't coming coming online very quickly. You've got demand uh, possibly doubling over the next decade. Again, you, you probably got this, this dynamic where if you've got the supply deficit for, for copper, uh, and again, I think that's pretty bullish for, for, the, for the commodity. Rob, that's fascinating. How could an investor um, get exposure to this copper opportunity? I think the, the one we've liked and we've liked for the last two to three years is is a company called Oz Minerals, so OZL on the on the ASX, um, and that's that actually recently had a bid from from BHP um, over the last few months, and and it, it really that for me shows that BHP and these big miners, uh, these mining giants, that are, are really seeing the value in copper. Over the next decade, they're they're trying to move towards these, you know, they, they call it future-focused minerals uh, in terms of, of copper. Um, you know, and we, we like ours. I think it has a good production and earnings profile um, over the next decade. Um, you know, even if the, this bid falls away from BHP, I, I still think it's a great company. Um, but I guess you know, every stock has its price, and I think if BHP comes up with a, a better bid. Uh, that might be the end for us on on, on Oz Minerals. Like I guess BHP as well also has around about twenty percent of its EBITDA, possibly even more now, uh, is copper. So BHP and Rio are also other ways that you can play copper through a diversified, you know, giant mine uh, sort of mining giant. Um, so that there are probably other couple of ways as well to do it. Yeah, but maybe as you touched on, if they want to ramp up this, that 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 lag in getting supply online takes time. And the only way they can you know, ramp that up is by uh, through acquisition of the likes of Oz Minerals. Rob, any other companies that are getting your attention right now that uh, investors should look into? I think there's a, a couple other ones that we like. They are pretty lithium focused. IGO is one. So that's a diversified sort of EV minerals stock. Um, Majority of the earnings come from lithium. Um, again, a, a WA hard rock lithium miner, uh, but it does have around about sort of 10 to 20% of its earnings will come from nickel as well. 
nickel was um, another another mineral that is will be essential probably for for batteries and for the transition. So and they're, they're exploring for, for for copper and cobalt as well. Again, cobalt's another one that will, will probably be needed in the transition as well. Both have very similar dynamics. Nickel and cobalt have very similar dynamics to lithium and copper as well in terms of the forecast supply deficit that we might see over the next decade. Um, yeah, so the same dynamics to what we've discussed above, really. You know, they, but they're sort of a broader, a diversified range of these EV minerals that we've discussed. Uh, the, the other one we, we, we like as well is, is min resources. And it's, it's a bit of a different take on it. It, it has a, an iron ore business and a um, engineering, mining engineering business as well. But it actually has a lithium part segment as well. And, and I think they really here, they, they could be value exposed there's actually discussion about spinning off the lithium part of the business. Uh, and I think this could be value accretive. Uh, the lithium business um, currently trains trades in around about a three times multiple. Um, and what we're seeing, you know, brokers are talking about a, a six times most multiple for that, uh, for that part of the business. Um, so yeah, really there could be some value exposed there and, and that could really boost the share price. Uh, so it's something we like. Uh, I guess it's, pre it's pretty speculative for now on that. They haven't, the management haven't really discussed that, uh, that spin-off. But there seems to be, um, you know, the ball seems to be rolling really on on that discussion. Um, so yeah, interesting opportunity there as well. Rob, it's been a um, it's been a fascinating discussion, learning about these this mega trend and, and what's going to and what's likely to play out over the um, the next decade or so. We'll wrap it up there. If you were interested in, in what was discussed, please have a click on the link in the episode show note to read Rob's recent piece of research on investing in EV minerals. Rob, thank you very much for joining us on the Invest at Best podcast. Thanks, Ted. It's been a pleasure. Well, we need to do it again sometime. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, if you did, please share it with a friend. My name's Ted Richards, and thank you for listening to the Invest at Best podcast. This podcast has been prepared by Wilson's. Wilson's has not independently verified any of the information given in this podcast. All effort is made to ensure information was accurate at the time of recording. No reliance should be placed on this podcast in making any investment decision past performance is no indication of future performance. The directors of Wilson's advise that they and persons associated with them and Wilson's may have an interest in financial products referred to in this podcast.